every reporter will agree on one thing. The big news stories in our world today are bad news stories. Our old nature is scintillated by gory, gruesome news and bored by good news. Let's join our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wardson, in our study of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 13, to find out what's happening in the news. Right now, there's a, a major media war going on in our culture. But basically, what you have is the big networks are on the East Coast. They tend to be very liberal. Fox Network has been founded, interesting enough, by Rupert Murdoch, who's out of uh, Australia, and he really built his whole empire on softcore porn. But interesting enough, he's very conservative politically, kind of a weird mix. So Fox is attacking from the other side. And there's a lot of competition. You have guys like Sean Hannity that are coming on on three hours a day in the afternoon. And probably a lot of you really enjoy. He's a really sharp guy. There's O'Brien on the Fox Network. He's a Roman Catholic boy that that really is sharp in ethics and sociology. And so if we just threw it open, a lot of you are really into this conflict. And I could say, some of you would say, well, man, I hate the liberal media. And, and I hate what they say. And in fact, one of the things I would share with you about reporters, one of the things you can really trust in somebody with you're reading a book or you're listening to a reporter, if he just tells you what his bias is, then you can trust him much more. Like, I just tell you, I'm a Jesus follower. I believe in Jesus, okay? That's my bias, very biased. And you're going to find as you grow older in life, it's the people that try to say, well, I'm really neutral. They're shoveling a whole bunch of stuff in that neutrality. The Lord Jesus wants you to be a reporter of the good news about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that the bad news gets a lot more airtime than the good news? That's a very common thing. In fact, I've talked to you about that, and I talked about how Shakespeare says bad news is scintillating and exciting, and, but good news can be boring. If, before you dump all over the media, you need to be thinking about what captures attention. And just one of the realities is that because we live in a fallen world, we tend to move towards the negative and the bad side. Like a murder is much more exciting, especially if it's really bloody, than if a bunch of kids get together and raise, you know, like a food drive for Manor House and meet the needs at Christmas time, you're going to report the murder. And one of the things that I want you to come to grips with today is that the Apostle Paul decided, really, he didn't really decide, but the Holy Spirit decided, I'm going to do something about it. And I want to teach you something really important about being a, a reporter. I want you to think of yourself as a reporter for Jesus. This week, as you go out, as you go out into the world, into your schools, your grammar schools, your middle schools, your high schools, your colleges, as you go out into Walmart working, Joseph will be over there working, and you know some of you, Bill's going to be working in the government, and yes, the Lord can have a believer that works for the government. And we even have some of you that will work in IRS preparation and all that kind of stuff. You can be a reporter of good news. So I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3 because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 picks up his argument in verse 7. The first thing I want to talk to you about is your attitude as a reporter for Jesus. You see, one of the things that's happening for those that really know Jesus, for those that have their sins forgiven, it's easy for us to be arrogant, even as we do this soap thing, which is a great idea. But we need to be very careful as we do that that we do it with gentleness and humility and not with power in the sense of we're going to dominate, we're going to control. 
Have you ever noticed that when somebody tries to bully you into their position, how does it make you feel in your heart? I want to share with you something about influencing people. And it's one of the hardest things to get through your head. We think that we influence people by yelling at them, by saying, I'm the boss. Some of you husbands think that the way that I whoop this little woman in shape is I remind her the Lord ordained me to be the leader in my home. Some of you on the job, you're insecure and you come across bombastically. As a preacher, if I come across to you as way up here, speaking down to you, We've got a major disconnect. And the Apostle Paul tells us something about his spirit as a reporter of the good news. I want you to look at verse 7. Look what he says. He says here, he says, I, we'll start with verse 6. He said, this mystery is that through the gospel, that through the good news that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ. Now, that's what we talked about last week. That was a concluding statement, this unity of the body of Christ. No racial barriers, no social barriers. Everybody together in Christ. Now look what he says. I became a herald of the gospel. I became an apostle of the gospel. Now, Paul has said those things earlier. But now he calls himself something else, which is one of the dominant ways that the apostle Paul referred to himself. Everybody tell me what Paul in verse 7 called himself. I became a what? servant. I became, look what he says, I became a servant of this gospel, of this good news. The way that I became a servant of this good news, it was by the gift of God's grace. What does that mean? Did Paul earn this position? Did the Apostle Paul somehow go to graduate school, get a graduate degree, learn how to speak very effectively so he could say, man, I'm better than everyone else, and that's why the Lord chose me? No. The Apostle Paul says, I became a servant of the gospel by God's grace. This was through the working of God's power within me. He goes on, as he's thinking about being a servant, he goes on and says, I'm the least, although I'm the least of all of God's people. This is a tremendous picture. This will release you. It'll help you. Some of you are afraid to witness for Jesus. You're afraid to go public for him because you feel that you're not worthy or you feel like you'll say the wrong thing. And Paul's attitude of a servant will help you to get by all that. It helps me tremendously to realize as I go out into the world this week, that I am a servant. What does that mean? It means that I am not the Lord of my own life. I don't decide what I'm going to do. I'm under the orders of my Lord. It means that I'm not important. It doesn't make any difference if people ever find out about Dave Wurtzel. It doesn't make any difference if we ever find out that you're the one that, you know, for example, maybe painted these walls or vacuumed this floor when you're a servant, you're not focused on what you're getting out of it. You're focused on the Lord. And, there's, and it sounds nutty, but it will set you free. Because what makes you angry and what makes me angry is when I put a lot of effort into something for Jesus. You know what I mean? That's the worst kind. When I do it for Jesus and nobody knows about it. And nobody says anything about it. How about you? Have you ever felt that way? You just through the Lord, you say, man, you know, I've been slugging it. I've been doing this, you know, hour after hour, and I did all this work for Jesus. And man, nobody, in fact, what's really bad is when I get kicked in the head for it, when somebody criticizes me. And Paul had an incredible, incredible insight. 
he realized that the bottom line of my life is I'm a servant of the good news. What's important is for the good news to get out. And he, he displayed that attitude. Like Paul says in Philippians, like when he was in jail, some people were even gloating about the fact that he was in jail, but he's able to write, you know, some people are gloating about me being in jail, and they're preaching the gospel to try to make me feel really badly. It's kind of this screwed up kind of competition and stuff. It's very strange. But the Apostle Paul says, but I rejoice because Christ is preached. That's the attitude of a servant. And it's tremendously liberating, this idea of we realize, if I'm a reporter, and let me go back to the news. One of the problems with the media today is that the focus is on the reporter. We see big billboards, tune in and see the big reporters. If you're really a good reporter, if you're really someone that's responsible to get out the news, what a reporter realizes is they need to what? They need to disappear. You see, that's what makes a good reporter. In fact, when you're the center stage, everyone's looking at you so you can't find out what's going on with them. Does that make any sense? It's a major problem when you're trying to report someone, if you're putting about, or about events or about happenings, when you have the focus on you, then you'll distort the news because the news becomes about you and not about what is objectively really happening. And that can happen to us as believers, as a preacher. You see, it's not about me. It's not about whether you think that what I did was good or that what I did gripped your heart or or that, you know, that I'm doing what I need to do. In fact, if I get done with a message and somebody says, wow, Dave, that was just an incredible message and boy, you really wowed me today, then I failed. Because, you see, I got in the way of the message and you started focusing on me and not on what I was supposed to serve. Does that make sense? And so that's a marvelous insight. As we grow older in the Lord, one of the things the Lord helps us to do is he humbles us. He gets us out of ourselves. We stop being so important, and we become a servant. And it's about what we're trying to get across. It's about what we're trying to accomplish, rather then what we're going to get out of it. And the Apostle Paul realized that. Now, what you say, well, Dave, what helps me to realize that I'm a servant? It's all by God's grace. The reason you're a child of God today. If you've invited Jesus into your heart, you did that just because God gave you a free gift. And he is working in your heart. The Apostle Paul says it was according to his power. And one of the things that we're learning in the book of Ephesians is that the moment you receive Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit came into your life And when the Holy Spirit came into your life, he gives you the power. He's going to help you to have those ideas. He helps you to have ideas about how to be a Christ-like man or woman when you're sitting in a decision-making time in your business. The Holy Spirit is God's presence, Jesus' presence with you day after day. We're going to be learning more about that in our passage next week. But it changes this whole ballgame. For example, this week in my own life, Daryl Spratlin. We've been praying for Daryl for a long time. And just to catch some of you up on those details, Daryl's had home-going cancer. We've had different ones in our church family that we've seen the Lord marvelously heal. And we rejoice in that. And we want our teenagers and our children to grow up in a church where they've seen the power of the living God really heal people. But we also want them to grow up in a church family where we realize sometimes we pray and our heavenly daddy has a bigger, has a bigger plan. 
And that's really important. And the next thing the Apostle Paul is going to talk about is that a good news reporter not only needs to be a servant, but he also needs to understand the wealth of what we have in Jesus, the abundance, the overflowing, unfathomable, unsearchable wealth that we have in Jesus. And I want to tie those two things together. For example, like when I went to the hospital, when I got the call, and I run over to the hospital, and I get there, and Daryl's blood pressure is 60 over 11, which is almost non-existence. There's a cynical part of me that just says, this is it. You know, that cancer's taken over, and death is going to win, and that's just the way it is. And there's a part of me that as a pastor teacher, like, I know I should be really spiritual, and I know I should really pray, and I want you to know that I do by God's grace, but I also have that other side of me that says, we've done all this radiation, Andy Anderson that says we can't get any farther, this is just going to be the end, and that's really hard on me. It makes me weak. It makes me feel like, Lord, why didn't you come through? Joyce is by Daryl's bedside reading scripture to him, one scripture after another in a very loving, gentle way, reminding him about the promises of God, even when she's not sure she can hear. She reads a passage in James that just says, you know, they call the elder of the church and and we often do this in our church family, anoint with oil, and that's what we need to do. So she said, Dave, you're the elder here. We don't have a multiple of elders, but you're here. Can we do that? I said, sure, we can do that. And so he anointed Daryl with oil. That's the wealth that we have in Jesus. And we prayed for him. We asked the Lord to work. We prayed for the family. He went in and had a CAT scan right after that, and uh, the doctor that's a believing doctor thought that his brain would just be filled with swelling. And just nothing at all they could do. But when they went into the CAT scan, he had very little swelling. They gave him some steroids. In fact, even before the steroids took a hold, when they wheeled him back in, I talked for about three minutes with one of my friends. I went back in the room, and Daryl says, Hello, Dave, just as plain as can be. And he was conscious. His blood pressure came back up. He was able to talk to me. He was able to say goodnight. He says, I love you, sweetie, to Joyce, and, and communicates his love, was able to talk to his daughter, April, talk to Steve. And I went away. We had prayer again and said, Lord, we just commit our brother to you. And at 2 o'clock that night, Joyce called me and said, you need to come over right away. Things are going downhill. And when I got over there, Daryl had gone home to be with Jesus. Now, what I want to share with you is that, is that in my own strength, in my own strength going through that, as a pastor teacher, that hitting, having that hit me, it's like a wave that hits you again and again and again. And I want to tell you that I feel weak in that. You firemen, I talked to a fireman in counseling earlier this week. You firemen, you go out on those emergency calls, and you police people, you go out on those emergency calls, and I wrestle with the same thing, and one of our tendencies is to become hardened and cynical about that. And then we kind of push it away, and we don't cry because you can't cry in that situation. But I want to encourage you to realize you're a servant and that you have powerful power available to you and you can go ahead later and cry and face what's happening and understand that you have a Savior that ultimately is going to put this together. Does that make sense to you and make it work so you don't have to harden yourself and when you harden yourself, you'll wound your emotions, you'll end up being immoral, or you'll end up drinking too much. And even as a pastor teacher, those can be temptations. Like when I hit the emotional bottom, then I'm vulnerable. Being a servant helps you to realize the power is not in me. I don't need to have the power. 
One of the coolest things was to be able to say as I go into the funeral for Daryl, say, Lord, I pray to him as I'm driving up here, Lord, I don't really feel emotion like doing this funeral. Daryl's only a little bit older than me. And in Austin, just a little boy, he needed his daddy. And I can be totally honest about all that. I want you to understand that something really cool happens when I'm able to say, Lord, I'm just your servant. And so you told me you would give me power, so you need to guide me the next few minutes. You need to help me to say the right things. And Lord, I just want you to change someone's heart here. That's not just something that your pastor teacher does. I want you to do that too, okay? You're a servant, and that means that we've been given power from the Lord, and we can expect our master to really come through for us because there's tremendous wealth in Jesus. And that's what I want you to focus on this next, because Paul was excited about being a servant of Jesus because look what he says. Verse 8, although I am the least of all God's people, this grace, and Paul is using grace in this verse as a shorthand way, that's, it's the good news about Jesus and all that Jesus brings. This grace, all this unmerited favor from Jesus, all this union of Jews and Gentiles, all this oneness of the body of Christ, it's all included in that word grace. This grace was given to me to do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the Messiah, and to make plain to everyone God's administration of this mystery, which in ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. The Apostle Paul, his entire life was focused on the unfathomable riches of Jesus. I want you to take some time, today and during the week, I want you to ask yourself about the unfathomable riches of Jesus. This is what it means. Unfathomable means, one, it means they'll never run out. Okay? They'll never, never run out. The other thing that probably more the emphasis of this word that's used here, it means you could never have understood them unless God revealed them to you. In other words, this is a, a gift where God in heaven has told us because specifically what Paul is saying is the wondrous thing is that God is now reaching out to every people group on planet Earth, red and yellow, black and white, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. Everybody on Earth can come to know Jesus. The unfathomable wealth of Jesus. I want our church family to be really getting excited about more and more the wealth that there is in Jesus. Now just stop and think about Because I've been raised with this. I've known Jesus since I was five years old. I don't know what it's like not to have this incredible King of Kings and Lord of Lords in my life. To be honest with you, I don't. Like, I don't have a testimony that says, man, I once was sunk in sin until the Savior came in, and, you know, I wasn't strung out on drugs and everything else. I don't remember what it's like not to have Jesus in my life. And many of you have been raised with that glorious testimony as well. Some of you have been raised with the other kind of testimony. But those of us that have been raised with this, it's easy for us because we've always been around the wealth. We don't realize it anymore. It's like anything else that you're always around you lose how precious it is. And that's what I want you to understand. I want you to stop and think and let Ephesians teach you about the wealth that's found in Jesus. Like, what did we learn in chapter 1? We learned that we are fellow heirs with Jesus. We're going to learn at the end of this passage that we have free access, bold, open access to Jesus. Right now you have it, but the moment that you die you're going to have access to that. So what's the riches that we have in Jesus? Part of the riches is Joyce was able to pray like that, but when the Lord chose to call Daryl home, she's able to go, Heavenly Daddy, evidently 
you have a room that my carpenter husband needs to help your son who's a carpenter finish up. And so evidently you have eternal purposes that are bigger. And I hurt really bad and I'm going to miss him and Steve's going to miss him as a dad. But Lord, we're going to be willing to trust you that the wealth of Jesus promises us. And 2 Corinthians 5 powerfully ministered to the whole Spratlin family. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this. If this pup tent of a physical body, if this canvas Boy Scouts pup tent is torn down, if it gets rips in it, it starts to leak, it wears out, then God, when our physical tent wears out, our internal being, the real Daryl Spratland, just like that, when this earthly tent is torn down, he has a permanent dwelling in the heavens that's immortal, that will never decay. There's a great mystery in that. But you know what it means? I was able to say that to Joyce, without a shadow of a doubt, Paul said that when this earthly tent is torn down, we are absent from the body and we are present with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Only Jesus, only Jesus has the wealth, has the power, has the message of good news. That is good news, isn't it? Really good news. That's the wealth that we have in Jesus. And I want you to be thinking of as you go out this week about the wealth. Ken was sharing with me last night that he and Kim were flying up trying to get into Colorado Springs. And as they were coming down, suddenly the whole plane iced up just terribly. And they were kicking the boot and throwing ice off the plane. And, and it was really scary for about five minutes as they come down through a frozen layer. The, man, the whole plane fogs in. You can't see anything. Their electricity went out. Finally, they break out of the clouds. They have an inversion layer, which meant it's warmer underneath. And the ice comes whipping off the plane. And there's the runway they get down. They go, shoo, you know, they're shaking. And Cam, you know the way Cam is, he's kind of hyper anyway. So he's, you know, all over the airplane. When they got down on the ground, they hear a guy reporting. He's crying on the intercom. He's saying, I've tried to come down five times. I can't get down. You know, I, everything's whited out. I, I can't see anything. What am I going to do? Now, when you have the wealth of Jesus, this is during the week. This is pilots. What do you do when you have the wealth of Jesus? I want every one of you to capture a vision. Ken and Cam, and Cam are going to blow it this week, and they're not perfect, and they do things that are wrong. But I want all of us to start to have this idea. We can do this. We can recognize the wealth of Jesus. And Cam and Ken, the guy couldn't even get through to the tower. He lost the tower. So they got on their airplane intercom and started talking to the guy and they said it's going to be okay if you can just keep on coming it's going to get warm and you're going to be okay and can we pray for you they said we want to pray for you and so they prayed for the guy as he's coming down they're waiting they got down first and suddenly they see this guy land and the guy is just shaking they can almost feel it over the radio and the guy said thanks thanks for praying for me that's recognizing the wealth. We have, this passage closes by saying that we have free access to the God in heaven, don't we? And we all take that for granted. But you know, there's a lot of men and women this week, they don't feel free access. They don't feel we can pray. So one of the most powerful things you can do is you can pray for people in another walk of life, moving from pilots. On Tuesday, you, Huber, every once in a while, you know, you just kind of need me to go and encourage him and to spend time with him. And also, he really teaches me a lot. 
And one of the things that I want to do is I want to find out what you guys are doing during the week. So you and I sometimes go horseback riding together. And usually we just go out on the ranch and kind of mill out around the cows. But on, on Tuesday, he says, Dave, we're going to do the real thing. So we went out. There was all these real cowboys, and they do the real cowboy thing. They go out into the fields, and they push the cows and their calves out of the field. And so I got to do the city slicker thing. Had my boots on, and, you know, I'm the fake, the pretend guy, okay? We actually did. We pushed all these cows out. And in fact, there was even a Western magazine there that was taking pictures of all this stuff. And so it's really going to be a lie when you see my picture in the Western magazine, okay? We headed in heel. I didn't do that because I cut my thumb off doing that, but I was the inoculator. I inoculated 50 or 60 cows, double barrel, big syringes and everything. We're in the midst of all this stuff, you know, throwing them over. We branded them. We did the whole works, okay? <laughs> but there was an artist there from Ohio, and I saw you after we'd done the work. You was all upset about having to take a test. So we had to leave a little bit early, but I noticed he went over and there was a lady that was there that was taking pictures from Ohio. And you got in a conversation with her. He started presenting the gospel. She said, I know Jesus. And the Lord turned my life around just a couple years ago and really changed me. And now I'm trying to use my art for the Lord's glory. I do this beautiful Western art and I put verses on it. And she was going down to Austin to a big Western art show. And you just said to her, he said, do you mind if we pray for you before we leave? And this dear girl almost begins to cry as you just begins to pray. Lord, bless this girl. She's one of your kids. She loves you. And boldly entered into God's presence and asked for God's blessing. Here we are at a rugged corral with guys castrating calves. But the wealth of Jesus gives us access to the throne. That's what I want every one of you to do to go out this week the apostle paul is telling us that we are servants of the good news what this world needs is believers like you to just go out in mundane everyday life and realize i'm a servant of good news people need to hear good news what's the good news that they need to hear they need to hear about the wealth that's found in jesus they need to find out about God's purpose. I said a reporter needs to know God's purpose. And Paul said in our passage today this. He says God's purpose at the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, down through the ages. And I want you to get this because some of you have kind of the idea that this church thing is kind of a parenthesis. I was taught that a little bit as a kid. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this. From the beginning of time, God knew that you would be one of his kids that you would be in a group called the precious universal body of Christ, that you would know that you had eternal life, you would know that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you would know the only Savior that can cleanse sins, you would know the only Savior that's risen again from the dead, he's the only expert there is on death and resurrection, because he's done it, and you could possess that incredible good news, and you could share that. And you know God's purpose. From the beginning of time, God was moving history towards this time when the body of Christ would be united in Christ's love. And then you would close the reporter knowing that you can run into God's presence anytime you want to. And you have bold, free access to Him. 